I wasn't here yesterday for the clothing exchange, which I'll explain actually in a few moments. But I understand that it was again a great success. Lots of people came to get clothes. June wanted me to say thank you on her behalf to those who brought clothes and to those who helped out. We opened the doors at about 9 a.m. and by 9.30 the majority of the clothes were gone. Most of the people uh, had come in, got clothes very quickly, and then they hung around. We had coffee that we were serving to them, handing out some stuff, having some conversations with them. <coughs> Excuse me. And had a chance to converse with them and share with them and build some relationships. And that's a good thing. I'm glad that we were able to do that. Uh, Richie was telling me that uh, Jonathan Straker hung around the front door out here while people were going in and out and had conversations with people. And that's just fantastic. We need to keep doing stuff like that. And God is going to continue to bless our church family in our community with a position of uh, being known and understood as a, a body of people that wants to serve and wants to build relationships with those in our community. So I'm awfully grateful that we have a chance to do that. Let me ask you a question this morning, and I don't mean it as in any way a frivolous kind of question, one of those that you just kind of pass off, okay? I want you to think for a moment about whether or not you're happy. Are you happy? I know a lot of people who are not. I talk to people all the time who are not happy. Sometimes I'm not as happy as I should be. And it bothers me when I'm not. There are times in my life when I've said, I'm the happiest person I know. And then there are times, not so much. And on the surface, it sounds like one of those Again, kind of frivolous, light questions that the world sometimes asks of each other. And I don't mean it to be asked that way today. I think it needs to be asked in a discerning way, a serious way. Because when people are not happy, it's not a frivolous thing. And in fact, God, I think, created us for something different. Do you recognize this lady? You may, you may not. She is a Canadian actress, grew up on Vancouver Island, best known for her role in Sex in the City. Her name is Kim, Kim Cottrell. It wasn't that long ago that she was interviewed on BBC Radio. She was in London doing a play, and they interviewed her because she'd gone through some turmoils, ups and downs in life, and she wasn't happy. And so they were asking her about who she really is. They wanted her to kind of divulge some things and to be honest. And she was. And so she talked about her insomnia. She talked about how she battles depression. She talked about how she's really concerned because others oftentimes laugh at her career. Especially those who know her a little bit because they might say about her, this was her sense of what others would say about her, that she's not all that talented that she's not all that pretty, that things kind of fell in place for her, not really having to do anything with her. It was just some circumstances that came together and she found herself in a position of being famous and wealthy 
and yet not all that together. And not a person who would say, I've got tons of abilities and tons of talents, and I'm here on my own merits. Instead, she says, I'm not here on my own merits, and it kind of bothers me that I'm in this position when really I don't deserve any of this. And people sometimes recognize that I don't really deserve any of this. And she, she was challenged by that a bit. Well, the reason that her story is interesting to me, I said she grew up on Vancouver Island. It just so happens that I know two people who are personal friends of Kim Cottrell's. They grew up with her. One of them is Diane Mann, who is married to Ross Mann, who lives in Victoria and was part of the Victoria Church of Christ. And the other is Debbie Scruggs, Rick Scruggs' wife from here in town who goes to Bow Valley, or Rick works at Bow Valley. And what happened was that Kim Cottrell grew up with Diane Mann, can't remember her maiden name, and with Debbie, I don't remember her maiden name either, but Diane and Debbie and Kim were like the three musketeers. They grew up together, were friends together, still are friends, but Kim's life has taken on a completely different turn than the other two. And what I think is interesting is that I'm not sure that Kim Cottrell is enjoying life as much as Diane and Debbie are. Completely different place and station in life, but it may be and I don't know, you'd have to ask Kim Cottrell, but if you went to her and said, so would you rather have the kind of things that Diane and Debbie have, she may well say yes. It's a possibility. Life is so much different for her than it is for them, but I'm not sure that happiness and joy is the difference, at least on her side. And given everything she has in the world, you'd think... That would be the case, but it's not. Well, Philippians has some things to say about just exactly this. I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 3, if you would. And I want you to look with me at verse 1, which kind of sets the stage for everything else here. And this is kind of remarkable what Paul says. He's not finished with his letter yet, but there's clearly a transition here. And he says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. And clearly, he's been dealing with this subject of rejoicing. He's done it already in this letter, but I think he probably does it in correspondence with them already. Now, it looks like, if you read the rest of this, like verse 1 is kind of separated from the rest of it. It almost stands on its own. And you think, well, he talks about joy for just a moment, but then he really moves into what he wants to talk about. And I'm not sure that's the case. I actually wonder if verse 1 is the subject. That what he wants to talk about is how life for so many people is not a joyful experience. And it should be because they stand in Christ. You have to remember how many times Paul mentions joy in this letter, but where is he? We said this already before. Where is Paul when he writes about how everyone is supposed to be so filled with joy? Where is he at that moment? 
He's in prison. And it's just so strange in one sense that he could write that. And yet when you take the whole perspective and look at it all, it really isn't all that remarkable. In fact, Paul is saying to them that he wants them to have the same kind of attitude that he has. He wants to turn their attitudes around. Now, I'm guessing, we've already talked some about this in terms of Judea and Syntyche and their relationships within the church from chapter 4, verse 2. It would appear as though these two ladies are not getting along. And I don't think that's the only problem in the church in Philippi. It seems as though people are not necessarily focusing specifically on or all the time on what they have in Jesus. In fact, I wonder this. I wonder if there are some in the Jewish community who are saying to the Philippian church, some of whom are former Jews, what are you thinking? Becoming a Christian. Like, do you not recognize where this this guy who converted you, who came to town and talked to you all about Jesus, you remember where he is? Where is this guy? Is that, is that how you want to end up? You want to end up in prison like he is? And I think the Philippian church, at least some of them, are wondering about this. Wondering about their day-to-day position in life. Looking at the Jews and saying, you know, they're not in jail quite the way Paul is. It may be that they have a point here that we need to be maybe questioning a bit about this commitment that we've made to be Christians. And so Paul is trying to establish for them a frame of mind that needs to dominate their thinking. I want you to look back real quick, chapter 2, verse 14. Remember this from last week? Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without faith, without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. Something is wrong there. He's wanting to make sure that they have good attitudes. And he wants to focus again now, I think, on an attitude that needs to be part of who they are. And it's so not dependent on their own circumstances and so dependent upon Christ who he is, and what he's done for them. Yesterday, the reason I wasn't at the clothing exchange for any of that, and I, I love it when the event takes place, and to come down and see all those people is always a, a beautiful experience. But yesterday, I had a beautiful experience. I was invited by a, a church in Pinoca, a Filipino congregation, to come up and talk about studying the Bible. They want to know how to study the Bible better. And so they invited me to come up to just talk for a few hours about studying the Bible. And here's what is so cool. Number one, if you've been around Filipino much, Filipino people much, like it's a great experience. Like they just have smiles on their faces all the time. It seems as though, and I know this is not true, we got a couple of Filipinos here this morning. And they might say, you know what, that's not really true. Like we're not just happy all the time. And I'm sure that's the case. But most of the time, when I'm around Filipino people, they seem to have smiles on their faces. Now, maybe it's because most of the Filipinos I'm around are Christians. It certainly was the case yesterday. And so I'm with a group of people that was probably 30 people there or so. Gave up a Saturday to come and listen to somebody talk for three hours about how to study the Bible. They give up the last Saturday of every month 
to do something like this. Last month, Stan Helton from Alberta Bible College went over and talked to them about the restoration movement. This month, it was me talking about how to study the Bible. Next month, on the last Saturday of the month, they're going to talk about youth ministry. And so these people come together and give their whole Saturday just to learn, just to become better disciples of Jesus. And here's the thing. They're actually happy to do so. Like they're getting together on a Saturday, giving up that day and rejoicing in the Lord and the opportunity that they have to grow just to be together in him. And you just wonder, where does this come from? Why would they do that? And of course, it's because they are rejoicing in what they have in Christ. Whatever they think they might otherwise have to do on a Saturday, they're not doing it. And instead are giving their Saturday up to become better disciples in Jesus. And they rejoice in that. It's not a burden. Chapter 2, verse 14 says, do everything without complaining or arguing. They're not complaining or arguing. They don't come together on a Saturday and grumble under their breath the whole time that they have to be there. They're just there, growing together in the Lord. Now, that's actually not unlike what people did here yesterday. There were people who gave up significant hours during their week in order to get some clothes together together for some others. And then yesterday morning, there was a group of our people who came down, and they served other people by being here. And in the process... I mean, I haven't asked this of June and Richie. I haven't said, was this a blessing to you yesterday? But no doubt it was a blessing to them yesterday to be here and to participate in that. And so for Paul to tell the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord is not just some idle comment on his part. He's not just filling some space on the page before he really tells them what he wants to say, he's instead establishing for them a mindset that he wants them to share together. He wants them to have this kind of perspective, that God has done something wonderful in Jesus Christ and that it actually shapes how we think and who we are. Now, look over at chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. We're going to go back and look at some other verses in a moment, but just notice this in verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, he says, but one thing I do. Here's, Paul's establishing his attitude. He says, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And when he says that he's pressing on, my sense is not so much that Paul is working really hard to gain for himself some kind of status before the Lord. We've already looked at the fact that he possesses this already. Instead, when he says, I'm pressing on, he's saying, I'm pressing on with a different kind of attitude. I'm in prison. But I'm pressing on in the sense of how God is working in my life and doing something within me. And for me, these Jews might well be thinking, I should go back to Judaism. At least I'm not going to end up in prison. And Paul's saying to them, your circumstances should not be the, the guiding factor here on how you end up thinking. 
Your attitude needs to be different because we stand in Jesus. Look at verses 15 and 16. All of us who are mature, he says. Now, would you like to think of yourself as a mature Christian? Would you like to think, I'm mature? All of us who are mature, he says, should take such a view of things. Again, talking about perspective. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. Do you see that? That fits so perfectly with what we talked about last week. We are not trying to become something new. We are trying to be what we are in Christ. And this attitude of joy that Paul says can be ours is only there because of what Jesus has done for us. And then look at the end of verse 19. Here's the problem with those who might be in a different place and where Paul wants them not to go. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship, he says, is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Ultimately, this vision of what's eternal and heaven-like controls, he says, our perspective. Their minds is set on the earthly things. Our citizenship is in heaven and it means everything. So Paul's established a kind of perspective here, an attitude that needs to shape us, and we need to hear that. Now, I want you to go back to verse 7. Actually, go back to verse, uh, oh, we can go back to verse 2 in chapter 3. And look what he says. There, There are, in fact, as I said, these Jews who apparently are trying to bring the Philippians back into the Jewish fold convince them that they need to not make the same kind of sacrifices that Paul has made. And so because of that temptation, Paul feels like he needs to say some things in response. So he does in verse 2. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh, for it's we who are the circumcision. And when he says that, he means the true spiritual circumcision, not something in the flesh. We who worship by the Spirit of God, a completely different kind of approach to our relationship with God, who glory in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. And so he says, when we're looking just at these things in the world here in terms of our status... If the Jews are trying to convince you that indeed you need to go back to where they are, let me tell you, I have been there. I've experienced all of that. I've had all of that. I was at the top of my class. And then he says in verse 7, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything, everything, not just his Jewishness, But I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish 
that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. And then he says, and and these are such beautiful words, and these words have been, like they have been so meaningful to me as I reflect on what it means to stand in Jesus. And the joy and the happiness that God desires for us to have. He says in verse 10, I want to know Christ. And the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. And whether this is physical death that Paul's talking about, which could be his case, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, he says earlier, or whether we're talking about spiritual death and the new resurrection that comes about in Jesus, either way, this is what establishes the mindset. And so when he says in verse 1 that he wants us to rejoice in the Lord, it's in the Lord that we're going to rejoice. And again, it's not something superficial. We're talking here about death. We're talking about the experience of giving yourself to something so fully that it may well take your life. It means giving up all kinds of things in this world, not having this worldly perspective, but having your mind set on Christ. And he says, this, it's this which enables us to somehow be joy-filled, no matter what it is that's going on. And so we are to have a different perspective than those who are in the world. But it isn't just positive mental attitude. It isn't just some kind of worldly optimism. I've mentioned before, we're not talking here about Tony Robbins getting on television and telling everybody how great they can be. It's because we know Jesus. It's because we know Christ. It's because we want to grow in Christ. It's because we want to be disciples of Christ. And we try all the time. I know so many Christians who try all the time. And sometimes Kelly tries other things thinking, this is the ticket. This is the way. This is the thing. If I just get this into my life, this is going to make me happy. And all the while, Paul, sitting in prison, is saying to me and to millions of others, that's not it. Instead, it has all to do with where you stand in relationship to Christ. And so I have a message today for Kim Cottrell. Maybe she'll hear this sermon. (laughs) She'll get the podcast. I want to say to her, good luck. While you are being miserable with all the things that you have, including your fame and your fortune, 
your friends are living simple lives in Christ and are rejoicing. And there is no other way, folks. You know, you know Christians, you know Christians, and so do I, who hear this and still try it the world's way. And it's never worked. It will never work. Kim Cottrell and all of those who seek something else need to simply do what Paul suggests that we all do. In verse 17, look what he says. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. And, and that's the key right there. You can look all kinds of other places for how it is that you think you should live. But if you join with Paul and follow his example and take note of the pattern of life that Christ sets forth for us, it's the only way I know in which the joy that Paul talks about can actually be ours. And so are you happy today? I don't know what you said in the beginning when I asked that question. But if your answer was no, then I think Paul's way is the way that you need to try. We need to forget what is behind and strain toward what is ahead and press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called us. And pressing on in this case is not effort. Pressing on is simply accepting what God has already made us and done for us. Allowing us to receive the joy of the Spirit that He's offered to us. And it's really the only way to to receive that joy. Let's pray. Lord, I'm very confident that there are people today sitting in the room who when I asked the question about are you happy, they said no. And you, God, are the only one who has an answer that can change that for us. And Lord, you know that we try other things. Even those of us who stand in you and say we believe in you, we so easily are seduced into trying other things. And it doesn't work. And so, Lord, empower us today through the presence of your Spirit that we might simply seek you and in response receive the joy that you want your children to have. It's through Christ we pray. Amen.